Brilliant. Thank you, Anne. Um, as Anne mentioned, I have been here for a year already, so you may be well acquainted with this part of my face. Um, but it's good to be here for another year and to be able to bring God's word to you today. So let's pray uh, as we, before we begin our reading. Lord God, I pray uh, as I speak and as we all listen to hear what you're here to say, Lord, that you would minister to us by your spirit, that you would show us who Jesus is, uh, who, reveal your, uh, to us who you are. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So our reading's from Hebrews chapter one, uh, beginning at verse four to the end. So Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits set, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now, this is the word of the Lord. So today, um, I have two questions uh, for you. And I think they're the same questions we'll be thinking about all throughout this series in Hebrews. The first being, who is Jesus? Pretty big question, right? And the second one, how can we communicate who Jesus is to others? So firstly, looking at our passage from Hebrews, who is Jesus? How, what does that say about who he is? The whole book of Hebrews makes a series of comparisons between Jesus and characters and things from the Old Testament, starting with the angels, and then followed by the law, followed by Moses and the promised land, followed by the priests, followed by Melchizedek, and finally the sacrifices and the covenant. And consistently, the author is contrasting Jesus with these things, so that's the author can show his superior, Jesus' superiority to all these things. 
But I'll be completely honest with you, when I was given this passage, I had no idea why he was comparing Jesus to the angels. It made no remote sense to me why this would be the place in which Hebrews begins. But I sort of, through some research, through some discovering myself, an answer I found comes through reading the, the, this passage in context of the whole book of Hebrews. Um, angels in Jewish tradition are one of the main ways that God acted in the world. They were even said to have delivered the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was angels who ministered that, according to Deuteronomy. And so the author wants to show that the message that Jesus brought was greater than any message that the angels had brought before. And not only that, that he was a greater messenger than any of the angels who came before. In fact, the word for angel uh, in Greek is angelos, which is simply the word for messenger. So what is being shown? Jesus is a superior messenger and he has a superior message that we really need to pay attention to, both him and his words. So in this sort of investigation, um, I started with the ways that Jesus is in fact like the angels so that we can see how much more he is. We actually have some very useful illustrations at the front of church here. I don't know if you've noticed these uh, stained glass windows. Um, we've got Michael on my right, as it's, you can see his name underneath him, and Gabriel on my left. And I think, so it says St. Michael AA, I think the AA means Archangel and not Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> that would be a funny thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> Jesus is a messenger of God like the angels, so how is he similar? All angels are messengers. Angels communicate God's words. Uh, if we see Gabriel here, underneath him, I don't know if you can make out, is the scene of the nativity uh, with uh, the angel next to Jesus. Um, and we remember uh, Gabriel was the one who brought that message to Mary first. Uh, he communicated God's words to Mary. Um, he brought that message. And like the angels, Jesus also communicated God's words. In John 12, verse 49, for I did not speak on my own, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So Jesus, like the angels, communicates God's words. And also like Jesus, angels act for God. They do God's will and guide God's purposes. We can see in the illustration underneath Michael here, the angel there. Um, I asked him what uh, this stained glass window was last week, and he had no idea. Um, but then after some just thinking, I realized that the man has a knife in his hand, on his right hand, and there's a child uh, on the left of him. Um, and I worked out that this is probably Abraham and Isaac. Um, with the, the angel here stopping Abraham's arm, the angel intervened 
uh, in this act. The angel guided God's will at this time. He stopped Abraham from slaying Isaac, and there you can see the lamb being provided in his stead. So angels act for God. And Jesus also acts for God. In John, again, chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So, in these ways, they are similar. But the Messiah, Jesus, is greater than the angels. He is communicating God's word and doing his will, but he's also more than that. And the author of Hebrews points this out um, in three particular ways, which I'm going to go into today. Firstly, uh, that the Messiah, Jesus, relates to God as a son does his father. Jesus is God's son. And two, that the Messiah, Jesus, is made king over all things. And three, that the Messiah rules eternally and is himself eternal and unchanging and uncreated. And these are all based, uh, these are all quotes that the author has pulled out from the Old Testament saying to the people who are listening to him, look, this is what was promised to us that the Messiah would be like. So now the Messiah has come in Jesus, who can we see that Jesus is based on these prophecies? So I'm gonna start with that first point, that the Messiah, Jesus, relates to God as his son. He is the son of God. Um, If you have your Bibles and you've got the page open, uh, this might be helpful to follow along. Um, But I'm going to quote from verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or I have become your father, in the NIV version. Angels are never called sons or daughters of God. But Jesus relates to God as a son of his. Now, when we worship Jesus, who is a human being indeed, we are doing something some would consider controversial. Worshiping a human being could be considered idolatry. But we know that Jesus is the Messiah, and that the Messiah is the one who relates to God as his only son. And as he is the son, he is also the heir of God, and all the authority of God is bestowed upon the son. So because he shares the same authority of God, the father, of course he is worship, worthy of our worship and the worship of angels. He is in fact exalted by the angels. The author of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament saying, this is expected. So verse six here. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So as God's son, the Messiah is worthy of the worship of angels. And so we should not ourselves be afraid to worship him as well. 
Which brings us on to the second uh, point. Because the Messiah is God's son, he is appointed heir over God's kingdom to rule it um, as king. The heir of God, the son of God, is to rule God's kingdom as if it were God ruling it himself. The Messiah must be greater than the angels because he reigns over the kingdom of God, which the angels are in service of. The angels serve the kingdom of God. Hebrews picks up this idea of Jesus as being king and says even a little bit more. Oh, wait, sorry. I'm in my wrong place. So, Jesus rules God's kingdom. He has received that anointing. And Hebrews quotes Psalm uh, 45 and verse 7. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire. Notice that he calls the angels servants. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Angels are by their very nature servants of God. They're servants of the one who rules over them as king. And as Jesus is the one who inherits his father's kingdom, he is king over the angels. Now, this idea of Jesus being king can be a bit strange to people who have come to the conclusion that Jesus is simply a good teacher, and that's all he is. But I believe reading the sources, reading the Gospels about Jesus, a lot of what Jesus does here is about claiming his throne. In Mark's Gospel, the reason people give for killing Jesus by crucifixion is for his claim that they should destroy the temple and he will rebuild it in three days. Now, the only people who ever built or rebuilt temples in Israel were kings. King Solomon for the first temple, and in Jesus' day, the second temple was rebuilt by King Herod, uh, who tried to kill Jesus when he was born. So if you're saying you're going to rebuild the temple as Jesus does, that means you're claiming to be king, over and above the others who could claim to be king. As well. So let us bring back to comparing this to the angels. Because Jesus is the Son of God and receives rulership of God's kingdom as an inheritance, Jesus as King is to be raised greater than the angels. Even to God's right hand. In verse 13, the writer of Hebrews says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. At no point is any angel giving rule over God's kingdom, but the Messiah is. He is given rule and reign and sits at his right, God's right hand. And Jesus claims this throne for himself. 
So not only does Christ rule, the Messiah has an eternal rule and over all the earth. And therefore he himself must be eternal himself. He must be uncreated. He must be unchanging in his nature. Not only will Jesus rebuild the temple, not only will Jesus claim his throne as king of Israel, but also of all God's kingdom, all creation, the whole world. And this kingdom is not temporary, but it will last forever. God created the angels, they are created beings. But Jesus, as says in John's gospel, was with the Father in the beginning. This is proven by Psalm 148, 148. Uh, Those things which were created by God turn towards God in praise, including the angels. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord because at his command they were created. The angels are created beings, but the, uh, but the Son, the Messiah, is unchanging. He is eternal, and he rules over an, an eternal kingdom which will have no end. Verses 11 and 12 in Hebrews. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing, like a cloak, you will roll them up and like clothing they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will never end. The son has an eternal kingdom and himself, he is eternal. Jesus, the Messiah, is the same yesterday, today and forever and his kingdom will have no end. To summarize then, Jesus, the Messiah, is greater than the angels because he is God's son, because he rules God's kingdom, and that this kingdom is eternal. So, how do we communicate this? How do we share who Jesus is with others? Now, if I had one, if I was able to set you homework as a preacher, I would set you one task for this week. Uh, which would be to ask someone who isn't a Christian the question, who do you think Jesus is? And basically see where you go from that question. See where that question takes you and whoever you're talking to. I believe the responses will surprise you if you are willing to ask that question. Now, I felt a little bit convicted the other day. I had written most of this sermon about how we should all ask people who, we think, who they think Jesus is. And then I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, I think if you're going to tell everyone to do this, you're going to have to do it yourself first. And I was a little bit late in writing my sermon, so my first response was, I don't have time for this, Lord. I'm, getting la- I'm late with getting my sermon finished. How could, I have po- how could I possibly have time to talk to someone about Jesus? and I felt a bit convicted. This should be the one thing I am prioritizing over everything else, let alone perfecting my sermon. So, so I called my friend, uh, his name's Ben, he won't mind me sharing. Um, 
And I chatted about how he, we were doing, how, and we just had a normal conversation. And then I asked him, uh, do you mind if you help me with something? I've got a sermon to deliver, and I really want to know an outside perspective on a particular question. Who do you think Jesus is? And he started to think. He sort of sat down. He paused for a moment, and he said, I need to gather myself for this question. It's a pretty big question. Um, but he did say it's something he'd not thought through much before. But he started to think through an answer. And the answer he gave would not have been the same answer I would give, I'll be honest. But what it did do was it led to other questions. We ended up talking about the power of dreams, whether healings could actually happen, whether the resurrection accounts could all have been a group hallucination or not. It was quite good fun, fun actually. And yes, his answers wouldn't have matched my answers, but what I observed is that it sort of planted a seed, actually not just one seed, but many seeds. And actually, by the end of the conversation, he was really glad I asked that first question, who do you think Jesus is? And he said to me, I think I'm going to be thinking about these questions for a while. I feel we could talk about this stuff for ages. We ended up speaking for two hours on the phone. Uh, and at that point, it was past my wife's bedtime. She didn't mention anything, but I could tell that she was a bit annoyed. <laughs> and it, actually, that, that conversation was longer than any other conversation that we'd had on the phone. Um, and it was started just by asking that question, who do you think Jesus is? Now I'm going to end with this final thought. Uh, has anyone uh, read The Screwtape Letters? C.S. Lewis, a few nods, great, it's wonderful. Um, I was reading it recently. There's an audiobook version read by John Cleese, of all people, and it's brilliant. He does a great job, so I'd recommend that. Uh, I'm not going to read through the passage, but if you want to listen to it, uh, go on to YouTube. Anyway, for those who don't know, uh, they're fictional letters from a senior uh, evil spirit uh, called Screwtape to his understudy called Wormwood. Now Screwtape is advising Wormwood on how to do the devil's work, basically, and oppose who uh, they call the enemy, uh, who we would call God. Um, and in, in one chapter, uh, actually chapter one, um, he advises... Um, this sort of evil spirit, not to use rational arguments against Christianity, but instead to distract him and to fuddle him, is the word they use, to confuse him, to stop him from thinking about the things beyond the everyday questions of life, and instead suggest that instead of attempting to think through what he believed, it would be better to go and have some lunch instead. Uh, to have a dose of real life, as they call it. Um, I think it's really a, fa a fascinating passage because it's saying the enemy does not really uh, oppose us just by creating rational arguments because he knows that if we start thinking through our faith, we're going to come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord because he is, he is Lord. That is true. So, by any means, if you want to oppose God, don't use rational arguments because people are going to think through that, what they believe.
Um, so I think as Christians, it's our job to ask those questions, those deep questions that go beyond the everyday existence of life and that point us to something beyond ourselves. Some people may have different perspectives on who Jesus is when we ask them. Some may think he was a human being and that's it. Some may say he was like the angels sent by God as a messenger and that's about it. Or even they may say, yes, I believe he is the Messiah, the son of God who rules over God's kingdom. But whatever people's response, uh, initial response may be to the question, who do you think Jesus is? Our job as Christians should be making people ask those questions. Because when people uh, go beyond the questions of ordinary life, the world and everything, they can be sure to find, to reach out for the truth and find the truth, who is Jesus. Amen. Amen.